Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Carefree and Black Diaries podcast. My name is Shakira White and I am the host here. If you are already a part of our Carefree family, that means that you have subscribed and you get notified every week when we post a new episode. That is every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Thank you for coming back and thank you for being a part of our Carefree family. Now, if you're not subscribed, we welcome you to join us. I promise we don't fight. I think we're a very friendly group over here. You can join by subscribing on whatever platform you're using to listen to us on, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your preference is. You can subscribe to the podcast there. Here on Carefree and Black Diaries, we talk about an array of topics from news, politics, music, entertainment, but most importantly, life lessons that I have learned along the way and that I wish to share with you. Let's hop into our Carefree Updates. First and foremost, let's talk about music. I only have one update, honestly, when it comes... Actually, two. I I wasn't going to talk about one of them, but I just changed my mind. First, Anita Baker is going on tour. She has... Maybe tour is not the word. She released a few cities that she is going to perform in, Atlanta being one of them. And I cannot tell you how happy... I was to see Atlanta on that list. I cannot wait until she drops the tickets because you better believe I am going to be there. I will be in attendance. I don't care when it is, what time it is. Shakira is going to be there. Um, I saw Anita Baker a few years ago. I want to say 2018 or 2017. Um. In Miami, she performed at the Jazz in the Gardens Festival in Miami. And my best friend and I went. I saw some people from FAMU. Uh, We went, and she is just such an amazing performer. Like, she is one of the few people that I've seen live, and her voice sounds better than her records. Like, her records sound amazing in and of itself, but it's something about hearing her live with live musicians. It's just, it's different. It's She's great. So if you have the chance to go and see her when she comes to a city near you, I highly encourage you to do so. She is amazing. Secondly, the girls are fighting for the past few weeks on Twitter. If you have not been keeping up, a lot of the rap girlies have been going head to head about what I honestly cannot tell you because it's just all so dumb. (laughs) Honestly, like it's, It's like, this person doesn't like this person, and since this person doesn't like this person, then I have to be on this person's side, and I can't support this person. Put it in the songs. Release some songs. Put all of your beef in the songs and leave it in the music. The fact that they're doing the back and forth tit for tat on Twitter is just like mind-boggling to me because some of my favorite songs, period, are diss tracks. Hit them up. With Tupac, I love that song. (laughs) Like, when you take all of that emotion and put it into the music, the outcome is just amazing. So I really wish the girls would do that. If anyone in their team is listening, encourage them to put that outrage and all of that emotion in the music. Please and thank you. And at the time I'm recording this podcast episode, it is Monday, meaning the day before it is to be released, meaning yesterday was Sunday, meaning House of Dragon came on last night. Um, My best friend and I watched it. We had just come back in town and we were like, oh, we can watch House of Dragon. Y'all, 
I have a few gripes. One is if you've watched it, this is gonna be a spoiler alert. I'm sorry. When is her name Rainier's Rainies? The R names kind of confuse me. I think it's Rainies, the one that was supposed to be queen, but she's like the aunt slash cousin situation. When she came through the floor with the dragon, it could have been so simple. It could have been so simple if she just said to the goddess, and she could have just ended it. But I know that would be too simple for the show. Like, we would have nowhere to go after that. But, I mean, it, it really could have been simple. But my hope is that she is flying out of there to go tell Damon and her niece. What's the niece's name? Rhaenyra's? Rhaenyra's? I'm telling you, the R names really confuse me. I'm hoping she's flying over there to tell them what is happening with Allison and her dad and the sons. Because it's a mess. That was honestly one of the best episodes this season. And that's, man, because there have been some really great episodes this season. But that one, when they had the situation at the table and Sir Kristen did his big one to old boy at the table. If you saw the episode, you know what I'm talking about. I was like, what has gotten into you? What has gotten into you? But honestly, the hero in this episode, the real hero in this episode is the twin. I don't know his name, but the two brothers that Allison's dad sent out to go find Aegon, Igon, the twin that would not help his brother fight Sir Kristen when he left. And then he came for Princess Rhaenyra and was like, I cannot stand for this treachery. He is the real unsung hero of that episode. I just want to give him all his credit and all his props because he really did his big one with that one. I'm really excited to see next week's episode, technically this week's episode, um, which will be the season finale. It's just such a great show. I know I, y'all are probably like, girl, a few episodes ago, you said that you couldn't get with the the uncle niece situation. And let's be clear, I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around that, but I just try to ignore it for the sake of the story. Because as soon as I started thinking about, that's his niece, then I started getting disgusted all over again. So when I step outside of that and just <laughs> look at it uh, from a different point of view, it's a really great show. Um, and that's all I wanted to talk about, honestly, on the Carefree Updates. Let's have a break for our sponsors, and then we'll hop into our topic of the day. Now, if you've listened to the past two episodes that we've had in the month of October, you know that this is what we call Blacktober here on the podcast. During Blacktober, every month of October, um, a few years back, I decided that it would be kind of nice to talk about black issues, um, talk about black history, um, just talk about black stuff. You know, I think most of the time we talk about black stuff, but October specifically is geared towards uh, a more niche, I think, a black experience. And so this week, um, I wanted to talk about, of course, something black that affects black people um, disproportionately as opposed to other groups. So if you're familiar with the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, and also most recently in Jackson, Mississippi, then you probably already have an idea about what today's topic is going to be about. And a few weeks back when I had a carefree update and I was giving you all some information about how you can help Jackson, Mississippi, um, I was like, yeah, we need to talk about this topic during Blacktober. So I've been holding on to this until this very week. 
Um, and as the years pass, as temperatures rise and as things get older, like pipes and infrastructure that has been neglected for years and has not been upkept, uh, we'll see more and more situations like this if something isn't done now. So I figured during this Blacktober this week, we would talk about what's really behind this. And that thing is a little something called environmental racism. You all know I love a good definition here just because I like all of us to be well informed. So environmental racism is defined as the disproportionate impact of environmental hazards on people and communities of color. And examples of environmental racism can be found almost everywhere we look. If you are um, someone who is, I want to say, well versed in different communities, if you've looked outside of your own community, um, then you can see examples of this everywhere. In an article titled The Complicated History of Environmental Racism, written by Victoria Pena Parr, it says, quote, many people understand the environment as a force of nature that cannot favor or disfavor different populations. However, similar to all things on earth, the environment is subject to human influences. Unfortunately, these influences often tend to lower their hands to the worst of our society, including racism and classism. This can ultimately create environmental racism. Honors College Assistant Professor Myria Gomez studies environmental racism and specifically their effects in New Mexico. When introducing the topic, she notes that Dr. Benjamin Chavis initially coined the term environmental racism, but a comprehensive definition comes from a man named Robert Bullard in his book called Dumping in Dixie. And Robert defined environmental racism as, quote, any policy, practice, or directive that differentially affects or disadvantages where intended, or this is important, unintended, because it can be intentional or unintentional, um, individuals, groups, or communities based on race. That is Robert's definition of environmental racism. Now, environmental racism refers to how minority group neighborhoods populated primarily by people of color and members also of low socioeconomic backgrounds are burdened with disproportionate numbers of hazards, including toxic waste facilities, garbage dumps, and other sources of environmental pollutions and foul odors that lower the quality of life. This can lead to different diseases and cancers. And because of this, as the fight with climate change worsens, minority communities will be disproportionately affected. Now, the black population in Flint, Michigan, as of the last time I checked, which was this morning, um, is about 54%, according to the census. And in March 2015, when the conversation surrounding the drinking water and lead in the water in Flint was much larger than it is now, um, there was a test conducted of that drinking water in one Flint home. And that test uncovered concentrations of lead more than 25 times, 25 times higher than the level deemed actionable by the EPA, which is the Environmental Protection Agency for the U.S., and subsequent testing found lead levels that far exceeded the EPA's criteria for classifying water as hazardous waste. Now, the CDC stressed 
quite clearly that there is no quote unquote safe level for lead exposure and that the consequences of lead poisoning were lifelong and often debilitating. This is what they were and still are fighting in Flint, Michigan. Recently in Jackson, Mississippi, again, checked the black population there. As of this morning, it is 83%. The black population is 83% as of this morning, according to the census. And just last month, we were on here talking about their water crisis and talking about how their citizens said that they have been getting uh, dangerous water notices for months now, for a long time now, where they've gotten notices saying, boil your water before you use it because it's not safe. And in an article discussing what is happening in Jackson, it says, quote, experts and advocates say what is happening in Jackson and towns like Flint in Michigan where the water supply was contaminated with lead, is a direct legacy of generations of discrimination and segregation. Someone says this is a deep-seated, decades-long, in-the-making kind of situation. Her name was Ariel King, and she's a lawyer and environmental justice advocate. Ariel went on to say, I think the history of racial segregation and redlining in this country have deeply contributed to the environmental justices we see right now. Redlining began in the 1940s as a government-sanctioned practice of denying mortgages and loans to people of color because they were deemed too risky. Um, I have a podcast episode here about redlining. You'll have to go back a bit because it was a while ago. So if you're not familiar with what redlining is, that podcast episode can tell you all about it. Now this program lasted more than 40 years, and as a result, Ariel says low-income, predominantly black communities were concentrated in areas with polluting industries like landfills, oil refineries, and wastewater treatment plants. Also, in an article for The Atlantic, and I will link all of these articles also in the description of the podcast if you want to go and read any of them for yourself. Um, This article on The Atlantic says the EPAs, which is the Environmental Protection Agency. They have a program called the National Center for Environmental Assessment. That program released a study indicating that people of color are much more likely to live near polluters and breathe polluted air. Specifically, the study finds that people in poverty are exposed to more fine particulate matter than people living above poverty. According to the study's authors, quote, Results at national, state, and county scales all indicate that non-whites tend to be burdened disproportionately to whites. Now, if you're hearing all of this and you're thinking to yourself, well, how does that happen? How are black communities and people living closer to the poverty line more impacted by these things? Like, how is that happening? Check this out. The situation is quite simple. It's very simple. We see it all the time. When government officials or other individuals or groups in power are faced with the decision of where to place the newest hazardous waste facility or dump site, they typically do not want it to be placed in their backyard. And instead, they decide to place these hazardous waste facilities and dump sites in communities filled with people who do not look like them or people who do not fall under the same tax bracket that they fall under. It's just that simple. 
oftentimes when situations like Flint, Michigan and like Jackson, Mississippi happen, um, and I'm referencing these because I think these are the most well-known and you may be easier to, you know, relate to those, but there are plenty of situations like these. When situations like this happen, the conversations are rarely addressing the real issue. And the real issue is environmental racism. And when these things come up on the news, it always ends up being a blip um, on whatever news channel, you know, and some don't even talk about it at all. And oftentimes communities of color outside of that area are the ones donating water. Those communities are the ones donating funds and donating time and renting U-Hauls and trucks to go and send water to those places. It's other communities of color that are doing that. And also those communities and people are the ones that are trying to raise awareness about what's happening. It's hardly spoken about on major news outlets. And when it is, it's usually a very, very small talking point that doesn't even scratch the surface of environmental racism. I can't tell you how many black communities I've visited or even just um, been in a car and had a drive through that had toxic plants pumping out chemicals into the air or waste sites that eventually seep into the air or into the water. Um, if it's in the air, those people are breathing that air 24-7. You have to use your water. You have to shower. You have to brush your teeth. You have to use water for cooking and for drinking and for cleaning. And so in the city, I tried to think of a situation that will kind of bring it home for people because it's very easy to disregard something that you can't relate to or disregard something that doesn't feel close to home. And that's why I'm so big on sharing personal things because I would hope that if you hear my personal stories, you'll feel more connected and more empowered to want to help or do something or be more well-informed about a certain topic. And so I was trying to think of something that would help bring this home. And I thought, Shakira, think about where your family lives. And my family lives in a very small town. Um, I don't know if it was the first week in Blacktober or if it was last week. I did an episode on the other side of the tracks. If you haven't listened to that, you can get a little backstory. Um about where my family lives, but there on the other side of the tracks um, or on the black side of town, quote unquote, there's a plant on that side. And years ago, they had a lawsuit because most of the workers would end up sick from working there. Like as they got older, they would be diagnosed with cancer because they were inhaling those things every day. And they had a lawsuit and a study and found out that it was because they were inhaling um, the fumes from the plant. Now, imagine if that is what's happening with the people that are employed there. Imagine what it is doing to those living near the plant. It's smack dab in the middle of a neighborhood. And my aunt lived, let me see, one, two, three blocks over from this plant. Before my uncle moved, he was one block away from this plant. All of my family lived on that side of town, seriously. And so imagine what it was doing to the residents 
and it's still there. So I'm speaking in past tense, but it's also present tense as well. And imagine what it's doing to the children who are still developing and riding bikes through the neighborhood, but they are inhaling this air from what's being pumped out of that plant. And I remember talking to my mom about it, and we were talking about how the company or the plant, um, after the lawsuit was over, they had to pay all of these former employees who were diagnosed with cancer. And now, mind you, some of them had already passed. By the time this lawsuit was settled, some of them had already lost their lives to these illnesses. And they had to pay all of these former employees. But when me and my mom were talking about it, I was saying, you know, at what cost? Yes, you were paid. Yes, you got money in the lawsuit, but at the cost of your health and your quality of life. And it's just not worth it. Like the article said earlier, they will put these dump sites and facilities in poor communities or predominantly black communities. And if it's a facility, they will sell it, um, especially if it's new, they will sell it being in the neighborhood under the guise of, well, it'll bring jobs to the neighborhood. Imagine the jobs it'll bring. Yeah, but at what cost, you know, to the health of those living in the surrounding area? And that's the part that they don't tell us. Our communities deserve to be clean and healthy, too. Um, They deserve clean air, clean water, and systems that are up to date and kept up to the same standards as white communities or communities that have more funding or people with a higher tax bracket. Our communities deserve the same. So here's to hoping that there will be a change because it was Flint and then it was Jackson this time but it could be any one of us next. Don't forget to stay black and carefree. And I will see you guys next week. Next week will be the very last episode of Blacktober. Um, I'm happy because I'm almost Blacktobered out. Um, But I think you guys will enjoy the last episode of Blacktober. It's going to be a good one, I think. All right. Stay black and carefree. Bye, guys.